Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, the Packers will be headed out to San Francisco, as we know, for the NFC Championship game this coming Sunday. It'll be a 5.40 p.m. Central Time kickoff. And obviously, it's a rematch. It's a rematch yeah. of the Week 12 Sunday night football game, a game that was flexed to Sunday night football for the implications. At that time, the Niners were 9-1, and one, the Packers were 8-2. and two. Many people thought, including Aaron Rodgers, who said, you know, well, it looks like we're going to have to beat the 49ers at their place at some point. Right. He said that the week leading up to that. Many people thought it would determine home field advantage potentially in a playoff game. It certainly has. San Francisco will be hosting it. Matt LaFleur talked on Monday about the film and what do you do with that 37-8 game, which obviously was the Packers' low point of the season. It was their worst game of the season. Do you use it? Do you throw it in the garbage? Do you just try, you know, how do you handle it? And his approach, at least from the head coach's perspective and I think from the coaching perspective in general as they build the game plan for this rematch is to go through everything. You go over all of it. You you have to swallow it all, try to digest it all again, as uh, as difficult as that might be to do. Now, how much he ends up sharing that with the players, how much he wants the players to be looking at that film again and all that, we'll see. And we may not necessarily get any details in that regard. But Matt LaFleur is definitely not taking that film and just throwing it in the trash can. It's something that he's going to use. He feels he, the coaches, the players, everybody needs to learn from what happened and obviously uh, use it to put together a better performance. Yeah, Mike, and it's, it's, it's interesting because I will sit here and tell you these are the two best teams in the NFC. I, I think the season has bared that out. These are not you know, the one random team that kind of skirted its way into the playoffs, and then here they are you know, making a run to an NFC championship. Both of these teams have earned their wins, and they've earned the right uh, to get that first round by and now the chance to compete for the opportunity to go to Miami and play for a Super Bowl. But more than anything, what I took away from this week was Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan both stepped to the podium on Monday and in their own way, I thought, conveyed really important messages. From LaFleur's perspective, as you wrote about on Packers.com, as you just talked a little bit about now, it's looking at everything they've done schedule-wise, yeah. preparation-wise, and making sure that the coaching staff is doing everything it needs to do to be prepared for this rematch and making, in, by proxy, getting their locker room ready and being able to keep that 29-point loss kind of far from memory. In just hearing some of the guys talk in the locker room, you quoted Alan Lazard in your story, you can just sense that that message already has been sort of conveyed to these players. Yeah, I think th that's what I took away from a couple of players we were able to talk to in the locker room on Monday and hearing from Coach Lafleur. They're already kind of finding the right perspective in terms of in terms of where where to put this game. You know, right. Alan Lazard was asked, you know, well, thirty-seven to eight. Do you feel like this is such a big hill to climb? And he's like, well, we're not starting the game down 29 points. And I think it's natural from a fan perspective maybe in some ways to think, oh, yeah, 37-8, to eight, boy. You know, it, it sort of does feel like in some ways that you're, that you're behind the eight ball right from the start of the right. game. That, you know, but reality is the game starts at 0-0. At zero, zero. I think from a preparation standpoint, there's a lot that the coaches are going to 
look at in that film, put together the game plan, and then they present it to the players on Wednesday morning before the first practice of the week on Wednesday afternoon. But I kind of get the sense that then once you start, once you hit the practice field on Wednesday, you have your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practices. Then it's everything is forward. Yeah. It's not. It's not looking back anymore. I think in some ways that's the line. That's the line that you have to walk because there is a line between you know using that film and learning from it, but not being consumed by it and not dwelling on it for too long. And maybe it is. It's you know that moment you hit the practice field on Wednesday, that's when the page turns and, and all eyes are forward, not back. And, and back to the original point I was making, too, this is what I love about the way that LaFleur and Shanahan are messaging because they're both saying the same thing to yeah. the teams. Yeah. From Green Bay's perspective, you lost by 29 points. You want to flush it. You want to move on and understand that, okay, our defense is playing better. Offensively, you've been galvanized here, I think, these last few weeks with Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, kind of bringing this offense and, and you know pushing them forward, but then San Francisco's standpoint, they can't look past Green Bay. There's a reason why the line for the game is not minus 28 or 29. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's minus seven for this reason. And Shanahan talking to reporters, I'm going to quote him on exactly what he said. He said, "We know it'll be different. We know that game got away from them early, and that's definitely not the team we're going to see this week." Everyone knows how good Green Bay is, how good their coaching staff is, how good their players are, how good their quarterback is. I don't think they've lost a game since then, so I think this game really holds zero relevance to what's going to happen. That game, uh, zero relevance to what's going to happen on Sunday. Yeah. San Francisco, the, the, the great part of this story is they didn't just beat Green Bay and just continue to beat down the doors on every single opponent they've faced after that. They lost to Atlanta. They nearly lost to the Rams, a game that would have cost them their first round bot, the first round seed and buy and everything that went with it. And then they came within a yard of losing to Seattle in that regular season finale. Now they did put, I thought, their best performance since Green Bay together against Minnesota. Yeah, I think, a suffocating outing against that run game and Kirk Cousins. And I, I, I have to feel that they're. They're pretty confident here with having Joe Staley back, D. Ford, Quan Alexander, Matt Breida is, is available if they need him, and then certainly Robbie Gold got healthy here over the last month. They're they're in a good position right now, but at the same time they understand much like Green Bay won't be thinking about or Trey's trying not to think of that that matchup. They also have to flush it and, and push forward in their own way. Yeah, I think Shanahan also had a line something about you know it would it would be foolish to for the 49ers to read too much into what happened in week 12. As much as Matt LaFleur talks about on a week-to-week basis, it's about hitting the reset button and everything. You know Kyle Shanahan's doing the same thing, and he's not going to let he's not going to let his players look at the way they frankly dominated the Packers in the trenches back in week 12 and look at the film and just kind of go, oh, yeah, well, we can do that again. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't you can't take it for granted. And I, in fact, I, I saw a statistic, and I apologize for not writing it down and getting it exact, but I saw something with regard to uh, playoff rematches in NFL history where in the regular season the two teams met and the game was decided by 25-plus points, so a blowout type of game sure. like the – like week 12 was in Santa Clara and the team the team that won the blowout in the regular season 
has definitely won more of the the playoff rematches, but it's about a 60-40 yeah. roughly split. So 40% of the time, the team that got blown out in the regular season has come back and turned the tables in the playoffs. So not that that means anything in this game as far as once that ball is kicked off on on Sunday with the Packers and the 49ers, but it is just something to keep in mind, and it goes back, I think. Alan Lazard's line might be my favorite one of, of the week so far. Just, well, we're not starting the game down 29 points, yeah. and I think that's what uh, I think that's what the Packers, I think the, that's what the Packers fans can uh, can take into Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and you got to keep in mind, too, this isn't you getting beat up by your older brother in Madden and then just putting the controllers down and coming back a couple weeks later and then the same result happening again. <laughs> yeah. Th- these are two teams that, they, there's seven weeks of, a, you know, adaptation, evolution, uh, improvement on both sides of this. Well, thing. we we had talked after that game that it's like, okay, the Packers lost to the Niners. They're eight and three. You have five regular season games left. You have five games to improve and put yourself in a position to make a playoff run. That's exactly what the Packers yeah. did. They are playing much better football offensively. They've improved on third downs considerably after that horrible showing on third down in San Francisco. The third down numbers are up. The um, They put themselves in position to score a lot more points. I know we talked how at the end of the regular season they let some of those opportunities get away, so the point totals weren't as high as they could have been. We saw the defense cut down on the explosive plays. The 49ers were hitting them, you know, for it felt like big plays left and right in some respects in that game in Week 12. So the Packers have made themselves a better team. They've done what they've needed to do. We'll find out on Sunday whether they close the gap enough to uh, to take this. Well, one. and here's the other great aspect of this matchup uh, with the league-wide narrative. Uh, the national narrative seems to have been all season that well, maybe the Packers aren't a 13-win team. Maybe. They're not as good as their record shows. I mean, their point differential, all these other little analytics things you can point towards. The Green Bay Packers win on San win on Sunday against San Francisco in in Santa Clara. That argument goes out the window. That team has proven at that point that they are the best team in the NFC and have the right to compete for a Super Bowl championship. I, I feel like this is a team that every step of the way, if you want to talk about the strengths of this organization the structure from top down with Brian Gutekunst and the way he's managed it uh, to how Matt LaFleur has coached it and how the leaders in that locker room have pulled this locker room together. They don't care. They will, they will handle adversity the way that they handle it. And I wrote it again in Insider Inbox this morning. If you want to beat the Green Bay Packers, you have to do exactly what the San Francisco 49ers did the first time. Yep. You have to jump on them early and you have to keep them down. For four quarters. Because if that team is either A, in the fourth quarter behind, more often than not this year they've clawed their way back. And if you actually give them a lead, like Russell Wilson found out on Sunday, it's just not easy with how they manage the four-minute offense, with the fact that they get the production that they need, even if the offense isn't 100% just you know world-beating everybody. Yeah. And defensively, when they're cutting down on big plays, it's not easy to score quickly against them. Those are all things that have to be factored in this matchup. But it's the reason why when Kyle Shanahan said that in terms of, you know, they they got down early, they kind of got away from their game. If it's closer, it's an entirely different situation. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I want to go back to a couple of things from the playoff victory over the Seattle Seahawks that we can discuss here because it wouldn't be a big game in the NFL in the 2019 season, the 2020 postseason if not for some officiating questions. And 
I know the fans are interested in our opinions on what happened with the challenge on the fumble play with Jacob Hollister and Chandon Sullivan in the first quarter, and obviously there's still a lot of barking and crying about the spot of the Jimmy Graham reception at the end of the game that gave the Packers the first down and uh, then allowed Green Bay to run out the clock. So starting with that play in the first quarter, I think you and I are on the same page here. Um, we were sitting next to each other in the press box, much like we're sitting next to each other right now, and we were somewhat in disbelief at the ruling that came back from New York on that on that review. Am I right? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I really was. And before I dive into that, I just want to make this quick statement. A and B are both true. Then C has to also by the I think is that the transitive property yeah. also has to be. True as well. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Exactly. Yeah. So if they couldn't see whether or not Shannon Sullivan recovered the fumble, is true. Apparently. And if there is no quantifiable evidence, overarching evidence, to overturn the spot of the ball on the Jimmy Grand play because of video review, C has to be true. You can't you can't argue it both ways. Whether you're a Packer fan or whether or not you're a Seahawks fan, it's you can't argue it both ways. Perspective. Yeah. Looking at the Channon play, the, yeah. the biggest issue I took on this, and I, I said this in inbox, is that the lack of urgency to officiate the play. Nobody, whether it was the field judge, side judge, nobody seemed to really be following the action. They were just sort of waiting for the play to end. So with that happening, in, in, you have to understand, NFL officials, referees, they do tons of research throughout the week. Would they review previous games of the teams they're going to be officiating? They look for tendencies. If you've watched the Green Bay Packers this year, Jair Alexander is not a big guy. I, I know he'll probably be mad at me for saying that, but he's not. He's not, he's not <laughs> 6'2", 220. Right. He, he's about 5'11". I think he goes like maybe 190-ish. His, the way he tackles a lot of times is lower and up. He actually ended up getting flagged for it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But that's the way he has to get guys to the ground, and he's pretty darn good at it. If you see a tight end like Hollister at 240 pounds or whatever he's doing, and Jair Alexander is the one making the play, you have to understand as an official, this is the way that this cornerback, this defensive back, attacks this play. He's going to go up, he's going to elevate, and he's going to go for the football. The ball comes out. Yes, there were some bodies there, but there weren't enough bodies. Yeah. It wasn't like it was, a 6 yeah, seven it wasn't, scrum. That was the thing to me is it wasn't like it was some major scrum, and it was pretty clear, it looked pretty clear to me on the replay that – Sullivan got his hands on the ball pretty quickly there. And then just because some other guys like jumped on the pile, like, you know, okay, so they say they say it's not they say it's not a clear recovery, but man, oh man, I mean, he got his hands on the ball and there was no there was he got his hands on the ball before the scrum happened, the mini scrum, I guess I'll call it. And there was certainly no evidence anywhere in the video that anybody ever took the ball away no. from him. So that's what that's what I didn't that's why I didn't understand how that ball doesn't end up in Green Bay's possession. So Wes Hodkowitz, little <laughs> Wes Hodkowitz went in the locker room and he did the thing the officials didn't. He actually asked Chandon Sullivan about the play. Sullivan didn't have any communication with the referees. They didn't even give him an explanation afterwards. What happened was that Sullivan, he noticed that Jair had dislodged the ball. He could see the way it was happening. He anticipated it. Yeah. He rolls down there. Now, he said, I didn't have it immediately, but in the scrum, he got it. Like he, He's the only one that ever established possession of this. Yeah. And if you need evidence of that, he hands it to the official. The officials kind of just 
lallygag into the scrum. You, you know what happens usually on a fumble play. They charge in there, and they're already trying to break things up. Yeah, but the, yeah, but the thing is, the, the officials were all relaxed because the call in the field was that it was, was, right. that it was no fumble. So it, when you talk about the lack of urgency, it was because, well, they had blown the whistle, and the guy who was on top of it said, no, he was down. So nobody else was really – nobody else – clicked in from a mental standpoint to say, well, maybe we should see who ha- who ends up with this yeah. ball anyway. They didn't take that approach on the field, and then I think it cost the Packers because uh, because of the review that came from New York. I still I saw the little video that Al Riveron put out in his explanation, which isn't really an explanation. He's just reading the rule to you yeah. like on camera. And I just I, I I just don't buy it. I just I thought it was I thought it was weak. I thought uh, I I thought there was pretty clear evidence that that was the Packers football. Yeah, so I guess the question ultimately comes down to if the ball comes out so many times now if the even if the ground forces the fumble, they're throwing, you know, they're they're making sure that everyone knows that it's still a live play. They didn't do it in that occasion, so maybe you just get stuck in this gray area, whatever it may have you, but it obviously here's, ended up going against the Packers. Yeah, here's the other question I want to throw at you about this though. So the Packers challenged the play it is ruled a fumble. Yeah, but they, they say but the they challenge. say no clear recovery. Yet they take away the challenge and the timeout. Which, because it was the first half, I wasn't too worked up about the timeout necessarily. But to me, as I said to you in the press box at the time, I mean the game is only what five five to seven yeah, minutes old or whatever at that point, and the Packers don't get that challenge correct in the in the complete sense so it costs them a challenge now you're looking at the last 50 plus minutes of the game you've only got one challenge the rest of the game whether you get it right or wrong because you don't get a third one unless you get the first two right to me that to me that's something that that was a really tough break for the Packers now it didn't turn out that Matt LaFleur didn't end up with really any other situations where he was maybe being pressed to challenge something and use that second challenge but he was in a position where he was going to have to be have to be very judicious with making a second challenge because it was yeah. his only one for the rest right. of the game and because that play had happened on on Seattle's first offensive play of the game. A few years ago, my computer got fried. Uh, it was a good computer, and I didn't have it backed up. Kids, back up your computers. <laughs> and so I had some old stories and some stuff on there, and I brought it to a local camera repair shop or. You know, video, all that kind of repair shop. And I brought it in there and said, hey, there's nothing we can do for you. Fair game. I got the computer back, and I went back in my car, and I drove home. I didn't have to pay them anything for them to tell me <laughs> that they couldn't fix my computer. If you, if they actually, if the, if the ruling on the field changes, because if I'm correct in this, Jacob Hollister is then credited with a fumble, is he not? Yeah. He's credited with fu- he's credited with fumbling the ball statistically. So yes. if there is a change to the play, I think that's one thing. Whether it's in the spring meetings that the NFL is going to have to look at, it. we'll see if you know Mark Murphy would end up mentioning it, because you you can't be in a situation where yeah, you know he did fumble, but there's not evidence that it was a f- turnover. So we're taking away your timeout and your challenge. You're right, the timeout. Who cares? It's the first half. Yeah. But that challenge, if the challenge rule is going to be that you need both. To get the third, and if you don't get one, you only get one more for the rest of the game. That's that's a yeah. Little I bit thought of a I thought that problem. was I thought that was a tough break. I want to talk about the Jimmy Graham play at the end too, because uh, I credit and I apologize for not writing down the person's name. I credit a, an inbox reader who sent in as I was working on Monday morning's inbox in the the late hours of Sunday night. 
there was uh, I was directed by a reader to another website had some really good pictures of the play at the end with Graham and the catch and then and then the spot essentially pointing out that Fox's yellow line in yeah. that particular moment was off. Yeah. Like it wasn't, I mean, in everybody's, you know, your eyes are just trained to like, okay, there's the yellow line. There's where the tackle is made. But that yellow line wasn't even close. When you look at where the marker is on the sideline, the yellow line wasn't even close. And so I think, I, I think this whole thing with the Jimmy Graham play controversy is sort of manufactured by some faulty technology sure. that just wasn't quite was wasn't really accurate enough in the moment and uh, uh otherwise I think if I think if that yellow line is actually where the first down marker is nobody's really talking about this yeah. uh, this Jimmy Graham in the spot of the last play. So this is actually one situation where it doesn't matter how many cameras you have, it doesn't matter all the technology that you can, you know, go into unless we're literally talking about like, you know, microchips being in the football to tell you exactly the precise location. This is actually where you just need to trust your side judge because that side judge had the best view of anybody, a view that nobody else captured except for that really far zoomed out uh, sideline camera that they had. <laughs> yeah, the one they tried to zoom in that yeah. nobody could see It anything. wasn't happening. Yeah. It was like when you take a picture with your iPhone, it's like, I want to get a little bit closer and everything yeah, just gets distorted. Everything gets blurry. You have to actually, whether, whether you agree with the call or you don't agree with the call, the best perspective was the two eyes of the side judge because of where Graham's body landed he was only showing the football to the sideline. So if mm -hmm. that's where they felt like he was down, that's where he was down. To this whole thing about the yellow line, I just love that it's got Adrian Amos. It's got all these, you know, I think media types. All these people are pointing out, like, yeah, you guys have to understand. Like, this isn't, like, that isn't an NFL, like, official line. Yeah, that's, that's, like, ju that's just the TV broadcast. <laughs> it's yeah. Joe up in the production box. <laughs> That, you know, is is just trying to get home to his family here in two hours and, you know, pack up the truck. That's the guy that's, like, putting that line down on the field. So, yeah, it was it was a issue where they had it directly lined up on the yardage line. I can't remember which one it was. But the real spot of the, the first down is, is is inches ahead of that, not even touching the white. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. You can, you can see when you if, you, if you look at, if you look at the picture, look at the play again, Look at the uh, the the little orange sort of I guess you call it the flat pylon that's like yeah. that's like laying there on the grass and look at where the yellow line is. I mean it's I mean it looks like it's a I would say even a good maybe eight to ten inches yeah. off. I mean it you know it it looks like it's significantly it's significantly off and the visual of the yellow line I think is what is kind of what created this whole controversy. Yeah. Frankly. So fortunately, everything. Well, Cooler heads prevailed. Additional footage came in from the heavens. Yeah, that was that was that, <laughs> that was, was the other thing. Suddenly, uh, suddenly, Cleet Blakeman comes back on the microphone and he st and he says, as soon as he says like additional footage, I was like, oh my goodness, are they going to change the call now after yeah. he already announced that the call stands? I mean, I think Lambo, I think Lambo Field would have just like spontaneously imploded if they, if they had changed imagine? the call after that. But he says, well, additional footage became available, but it doesn't change the call. And then everybody cheers again. Yeah. The Packers go into victory formation, and uh, and we're moving on with our lives. And as I said after the game, my first tweet <laughs> as soon as it was over, I don't know if I've covered a normal football game this year. That was number 17 now of, the ra of, our, of our season for meaningful games. Yeah. I still don't know if I've covered one that's like, okay, start to finish. <laughs> That's what it was. I'll yeah. see you guys later. Yeah, all right. Well, 
With that, we will call it a wrap on today's edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here on NFC Championship Week on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and there's all kinds of great video content out there on the Packers YouTube channel. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.